Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health. With your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Psych Central Show. My name is Gabe Howard, and we have a special series for you this week about the Palo Alto School District suicides. Uh, Specifically, we have some guests for you, and this is part one of a three-part series. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Wales to introduce our guests. Hi, everybody. Um, This week, we have with us Sammy Cottmel and her mother, Maya Nelson. Say hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. So for those of you who are are not familiar with the Palo Alto School District suicides, uh, just a little bit of history for you. First of all, that school district has a teen suicide rate that is four times the national average. In a space of seven years, they've had 10 suicides. Six of them were in a cluster during the 2008-2009 school year, and then four in the 2014-15 school year. In 2016, the CDC investigated this whole situation, and they had the results that showed that 46% of the victims were suffering from some sort of mental illness, most commonly depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. And the most common reason that's given for this rash of suicides was the stress of high-performance expectations in that school district. Sammy, could you tell us a little bit about that last bit, the the stresses of of that district? Yeah. Um, first, I want to say thank you so much for just you know letting us be on your show. We're really excited, and you know I think any conversation we can get started about you know mental health issues is really really important. And um, so thank you. Oh, you're um, very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I and I think um, you know that's definitely true. Kids today are face you know really intense pressure. Um, you know, they face not only academic pressure, but they also face social pressure. Um, you know, kids tend to feel like they have to take all AP classes. They have to, you know, get straight A's. They feel like they have to um, participate in so many extracurricular activities and clubs and sports in order to kind of pad, I guess, their, their college applications so that they can get into these, you know, Ivy League schools or really great schools, um, whether they want to or not. Oftentimes, it's the parents who are putting a lot of pressure on their kids as well. Uh, in addition, you know, to not only this intense academic pressure, they also face a lot of social pressure, you know, because we live in a time where social media is everywhere. And it can be really damaging to one's self-esteem. And it can cause issues anywhere from body image issues to social anxiety, you know, to bullying, to just a lot of things. So I think today is just kind of a really tough time to be a teen in general. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's even tougher being a teen living with a mental illness. Sure. So how did all of these different things affect you? I think being a teen, you're not, you not only have a lot of insecurities from the start, you know, going through puberty and going into high, the high school years um, with a lot of pr- stress from trying to perform well academically, but I think, you know, looking at all of this, you know, social media and I and seeing where everyone was going to school and, you know, definitely in the classroom where there was a lot of discussion on, you know, where kids were going to school, you know, what their grades were, you know, what they got in that test. 
Um, it definitely put a lot of pressure on me to want to succeed. And I think um, it really fostered in me the kind of uh, mentality where I had to also perform really highly to really high standards in order to succeed. So, so yeah, Sammy, I, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Sammy. I'm, I'm going to ask the question that nobody is ever supposed to ask a woman, but would you mind telling the audience how old you are, what year you graduated? I am 18 years old. And I graduated in 2016 from Mercy High School um, in Burlingame. Very, very cool. You were involved heavily. I mean, I, I don't want to give a part. I, I know your story, but but sort mm-hmm. of tell us part of your story. Just just sort of start from the beginning and, and go with it. So I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder at around the beginning of eighth grade. And... Um, For me, my OCD comes in a lot of different forms for many different people, Um, but for me, my OCD revolves primarily around success. So I always felt like in order for me to succeed, I had to, you know, get straight A's, I had to get into an Ivy college, I had to get a 2400 on my SATs, and all of this really radical thinking. It was really black or white thinking when it came to my OCD, there really was no gray area. Uh, It was either I was successful and I got straight A's or I didn't and all else failed. And as I, you know, looking back on it, as I transitioned into high school and the pressure to perform increased, my OCD symptoms also continued to get worse. Uh, And that's kind of how it goes with OCD. You know, the more pressure or stress you're under, the worse your symptoms tend to become. Um, So homework assignments that should have taken me like 30 minutes I just remember we're taking me up to three hours to complete and my OCD basically just made performing everyday life functions really, really difficult for me. Um, It became really difficult to uh, eat, to sleep, and the worst, to walk. Oh, wow. It was just, yeah, it became really, really crippling, I guess is the word for it. So when I got my first B in high school, um, ever as a course grade in, in Spanish, I was completely devastated. I felt like this straight A identity that I had been building for myself throughout my whole entire life was just ultimately shattered and there was ultimately not a reason to go on. You know, after three really scary weeks, I was hospitalized and we found our way to this program called the Aspire program. And what the Aspire program is, it's basically a teen resilience training program and it helps teens suffering from issues such as anxiety and depression it teaches them skills to help deal with their mental illnesses so and immediately after my first consultation with a therapist Amy there I felt like there was someone who truly wanted to help me get better and who really knew how to do it today looking back on it I I not only credit the Aspire program with helping me mentally but I also credit the Aspire program with saving my life. Awesome. We'll be talking more about the Aspire program in detail uh, on our next episode, in fact. But Sammy, you mentioned that you had three really scary weeks. Mm -hmm. What happened in those weeks? Immediately after I had gotten the B, I was in this state of really high, intense emotional stress. And so I was under this plan of what's called a 5150. And basically, that's where Um, If someone is contemplating feelings of harming themselves or others or um, they have to be held in a hospital 
for 72 hours, I think is what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went through this hospital um, holding of 72 hours. And um, that's basically what had happened kind of in the first week. And then after I was released from the hospital, I took two weeks off from school to kind of collect myself and just spend time with my family and my dog and um, kind of de-stress. Yeah. Now, uh, Sammy, if I can if I can focus on your mom for one moment, you had mentioned family. Now, we, we just heard a, a little bit about how you felt, but how did you feel, Maya? I mean, you're, this is your daughter. You're, you're sort of watching this. Yeah, it was really, really scary. Excuse me while I dry my tears for a little bit. No, 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 I, it's understandable. As Sammy mentioned, when she was in eighth grade, we, we saw the symptoms of OCD develop. And so Rob and I, you know, as, as parents, when their kids are little and they're, they have the flu, you know, to keep them hydrated and safe and, and rest. And, and when they scrape their knee, you know, to put a Band-Aid on their knee and, and keep it uh, from getting infected. And so you, over time, think you can parent through anything. And when her OCD symptoms started developing in eighth grade, we sought the help of community-based therapists, and it was moderately effective, But and people didn't talk about mental illness. So we, we even reached out to her pediatrician and said, this is what's going on with Sammy. Can you help us with the referral? And the pediatricians didn't even really know of anyone who could help with OCD. It was very It was a very lonely and scary place. And uh, we knew that Sammy needed help, but we just did not know where to turn to get help that was meaningful. So we bounced from community therapist to community therapist, engaged some psychiatrists, um, talked about medication, and and we felt like we were making a bit of progress, but not really. And then when she got the first B, um, you know, Sammy was always so wrapped up in being this perfect kid, and and Rob and I were trying to help her understand that that wasn't necessary. <laughs> Sorry. It just oh, brings no, back a lot, of, a lot of emotion um, because it's so hard when your child is suffering and, and imposing all this pressure on themselves and you're trying everything you can to, to alleviate that pressure and make their lives a, a bit easier and, and it just wasn't working. So, you know, when she got her first B, Rob and I knew that when that first B came, it was going to be uh, devastating. So we were very watchful and we were very supportive. And she was seeing the, a community-based uh, a therapist mm-hmm. doing some cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which was moderately effective, but not not that effective when she got the first B. Um, mm-hmm. So we just, we were very watchful. Her school counselors were very watchful. Her school teachers had seen changes in her behavior. And so everyone was on high alert, thank God. I think Rob and I were helping Sammy with participate in therapy with a community-based therapist, and we knew just from how she, how hard she pushed herself to be a straight-A student that when she got that first B, it would be devastating. So, as when she got the first B, we were all kind of watching and trying to help her, and we were applying what we thought was good parenting by saying, "Honey, you've worked so hard. You should be very proud of the B you got. You're doing your best." and and what we learned through therapy, through the Aspire program and, and family education down the road, that that probably wasn't the best approach. But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, so so in the, in that, at that time period, um, you know, on the eve of Valentine's Day, her school teachers were watching her, her school counselor was watching her, her friends were watchful. Um, you know, everybody knew that she was 
going downhill. We just couldn't catch her. And so on the eve of Valentine's Day in 2014 is when I got the call that Sammy was in trouble and I raced to get to her and uh, that's when we went to the hospital and we thought when we got to the hospital that it would be some sort of, um, it would offer some sort of therapeutic benefit and it just didn't. You know, when you go to the hospital with a teen who is has a plan to take their own life, what happens is the hospital takes over. It was more like a holding. Right. It was more as opposed to a therapeutic experience. Exactly. So they take the child from you, which is devastating as a parent, and put them into an inpatient situation and limit your access to them because they really want to make sure that the child is safe and that that um, the family isn't the one that's causing the stress and and. Uh, Anyway, so the the hospital experience for us was just terrifying, and as Sammy described it, a holding cell almost, where they just want to keep the teen alive, and when we realized that, we knew we had to work around the clock to find a better answer for her, a better therapy, a better path forward, and that's when we found our way to the Aspire program. What's interesting is not to get too far off topic, but this is exactly how adults describe it as well. I was inpatient also for 72 hours and access was just cut off. They they sort of watched me and stared at me and locked me behind a door and, and yeah. it was terrifying. And somehow this is the best that we have right now. So again, yeah, we don't want to... Sp- yeah. It definitely felt more of like a, a kind of like a prison almost where you're just kind of being held there and yeah. you know people are watching over you. It was... It was very scary. Yeah. yeah. So, Sammy, one question that I think a lot of people might have is, what was it exactly that made you think that taking your own life was the only option at this point? I think because of my OCD and because of how bad my symptoms were at the time and because of my my thinking was so, you know, if there's this, then there's this. If there's that, then there's that. Um, I think because my straight A identity I thought was completely shattered. I felt like, I I, I just felt like if, because I had gotten the B and my straight A identity was shattered, I wasn't gonna be successful. And if I wasn't gonna be successful, then why should I even live? You know, why why even, what's the point in living? Like, why bother, I guess. (laughs) Bit of a nihilist there. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm curious, because of all the different responses to this this rash of suicides, have there been changes made at in that school district as a result? Uh, I think the changes have, have started to be made. Um, we lost a, a really close friend of ours to suicide two years ago in the Burlingame School District, and the parents are as driven as we are to change the conversation around mental illness and help kids feel comfortable asking for help. You know, Sammy has done some talks in the community. She just did one last night, actually, at Burlingame High School to encourage kids to have the courage to ask for help and to realize that they're not alone and that there is no shame in mental illness. I think the change is that there's definitely a little, a little, not, I mean, a little more conversation now than there was in the before time. So I think that conversation is really good. And I think in order to get to even more change, especially like in the schools, 
you need to keep that conversation going. Yes, and also to stomp out the stigma around mental yeah. illness. That's great. Let's right. let's uh, if you could do one thing, and this question is kind of to both of you. Let's say you you were put in charge tomorrow. The, the president said, "Hey, Sammy and Maya, it's you. What will you do to stop this? You have one thing. Go." So, what do you think the magic bullet is? Is there I, one? Yeah, from a parent standpoint, I think uh, I would transform health education in middle and high school. And so health education right now includes things like eat more vegetables, don't smoke, don't drink and drive, wear a condom. Once you get past that lesson for the 17th time, let's teach kids how to regulate their emotions. Let's teach kids how to engage their wise mind instead of get caught up in their emotional mind and walk this middle path, uh, which they teach in the Aspire program. I think that's one thing I would do. You know, we've done such a great job in teaching kids the dangers of smoking. If we teach the kids how to ask for help, how to recognize mental illness, how to have the courage to speak up, then I think we will prevent these things from happening. Yeah, and so to kind of add on to what my mom was saying, I think for me, there definitely needs to be some sort of program implemented into schools where they you know teach you about you know mental health issues and how to I think because I think everyone and anyone can benefit from learning about your wise mind and like learning about you know um, mindfulness I think every single person can benefit from these lessons because life can get you know let's face it you know life can suck sometimes for every single person and everyone goes through their own story and everyone goes through their highs and lows and I think it's just really important to have this program implemented into schools where people feel like okay they're not alone and I think once we get to that point that would be really really therapeutic excellent Uh, you know Sammy I um I want to applaud you and Maya both for for going out and doing what you do, the the speeches that you give at schools and other locations. I just think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. We appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah. It, it's awesome. I, I started my my speaking publicly about living with bipolar when I was almost 30 years old, and it was so incredibly difficult because – I mean, as you know, I'm sort of speaking to the choir with you. And when when I first read about you, I thought, wow, at, at you know, at, at 16, 17, 18 years old, you're you're facing this this stigma and discrimination head on and doing a lot to change it. So uh, my my proverbial hat is right off to you. Thank you for you know for for doing this. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know what? I think because um, everyone's really afraid to talk about it, there just needs to be people to kind of break that and it's it's definitely such it's been such an amazing opportunity to talk about it and I just think you know once we get more people to talk about their own stories um, that's when change can really happen and so thank you so much like that that really means more than you know Uh, Well, thank you so much. All right. Well, next week we are going to have part two of the three-part series. So thank you to our guests for this week. And Sammy, you will be on next week's show too. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Excellent. Well, we look forward to talking to you next week and we will see everyone later. Thanks. Thank you. PsychCentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. 
Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.